Young women have been growing up with an indoctrination of what womanhood is and what it should be. They've been taught everything that is in direct opposition to the Word of God. Young women who want to be different from the world are rare, but they are real. On this Rare But Real podcast, Audrey Brogy will often be joined by her daughter, Grace Anna, and her daughters-in-law, Maureen, Kesset, and Marilyn, who desire to be discerning in a day when everything seems to go against God's design. Join them in the journey of becoming rare but real. It takes courage and conviction. And now, Audrey Brogy. Hey there, I am so glad to be here with y'all today. And I'm here in the studio or in my office alone, recording alone. Here it is on Easter weekend, and I have been thinking a lot about as so many of you have about the greatest thing that has ever happened, which is God sending his son Jesus into the world as a baby to take on human flesh, to um, to live a perfect life, to be the God man who would ultimately go to the cross and die in our place and taking our sin on in his body on the tree, on the cross and dying as our substitute, the death that we deserve, that he did not deserve, the innocent one who um, died in our place. But then, as the scripture tells us, uh, he was raised on the third day and proving that he was God, that he could do what he said he was going to do. And it is the greatest thing of, um, of Christianity to know that um, though we are sinners, Christ died in our place. And I've been thinking a lot about that this week, and I hope that this particular podcast will have you thinking about these things um, even after Easter as you continue this next week and as you think on the things that, um, that I want to share with you today. And I've been thinking a lot about uh, women at his cross. You know, there were weeping women on the way to the cross. Luke chapter 23 says this, And Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. But they kept on calling out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said to them the third time, Why, what evil has this man done? I have found in him no guilt demanding death. I will therefore punish him and release him. But they were insistent with loud voices asking that he be crucified, and their voices began to prevail, and Pilate pronounced sentence that their demand should be granted. And he released the man that they were um, the man they were asking for who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, but he delivered Jesus to their will. Verse 26 says, And when they led him away, they laid hold of one Simon of Cyrene coming in from the country and placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. And there were following him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. Women who were mourning and lamenting him. Now, think about it. This was going to be a public execution, and it drew crowds of people, especially because this was Jesus. This was a Jew. And in that crowd, there was a group of women who openly wept. They openly lamented. They were very sad, and they felt deep sorrow. And when women are very sad and they feel deep sorrow, they weep. They sympathized with Jesus, and they knew that something terrible was happening, not only to him, but they knew something was ter- terrible was happening in their nation and to their nation. You know, in Jeremiah chapter 9, the scripture says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider and call for the mourning women 
that they may come, and send for the wailing women, that they may come, and let them make haste and take up a wailing for us, that our eyes may be may shed tears and our eyelids flow with water for a voice of wailing is heard from Zion. How are we ruined? We are put to great shame for we have left the land because they have cast down our dwellings. Now hear the word of the Lord, O you women, and let your ear receive the word of his mouth. Teach your daughters wailing and everyone her neighbor a dirge for death has come up through our windows. It has entered our palaces to cut off the children from the streets, the young men from the town squares. You know, in verse 28 of that passage I was reading from the New Testament, it says, but Jesus turning to them, remember these women who were openly weeping, and he said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. So here's Jesus. He's carrying the cross and he's been beaten. He's and he's he's facing this horrible execution, but he's reaching out to these women and teaching them while they are weeping, teaching them in the midst of their own personal pain while they're weeping over the injustice of his death as they're thinking about that. He's looking ahead and grieving over the destruction of the nation, a judgment that was justified that we learn about in Scripture. And it would be the women and the children who would suffer the most. And that's a fact that we all know is supported by history. You know, the Romans attempted to starve the Jews into submission. Hungry men defending their city took food from their wives and their children, and they even killed and ate their own flesh and blood. That's what we find in the Old Testament. And then in verse 30, the scripture says, then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the green tree, what will happen in the dry? And of course, what you're seeing here is that the, is that the nation of Israel was like a green tree during the years when Jesus was on earth. It was a time of blessing. It was a time of, time of opportunity, and it should have been a time of great fruitfulness. But the nation rejected Jesus and became like a, a dry tree. And uh, Jesus would often wanted to gather his people together, but they wouldn't hear of that. And in condemning him, they only ended up condemning their themselves. And of course, we might uh, want to paraphrase the words of Jesus saying, if the Roman authorities do this to this innocent one, what will they do to you who are guilty? When the day of judgment arrives, can there be any escape for you? Now, the women among them raised a this death well for Jesus. They were very sad over it. But he raised as, I mean, he raised a death well in pity for Jerusalem and his people because he knew what was happening. He knew, he knew what was going on. And he's saying, let them mourn for themselves, for a day is going to come when they will regret having born children who were to endure a terrible suffering, and they would long for some kind of catastrophe in nature to put an end to all their sufferings. And if this is how the Romans, again, treated an innocent person, Jesus, how much how much worse would it be for the fate of guilty Jerusalem? You know, Matthew Henry says this in his commentary, When with an eye of faith we behold Christ crucified, we ought to weep, not for him, 
but for ourselves. We must not be affected by with the death of Christ as with the death of a common person whose calamity we pity or of a common friend whom we are likely to part with. The death of Christ was a thing peculiar. It was his victory and triumph over his enemies. It was our deliverance and the purchase of eternal life for us. And therefore, let us weep, not for him, but for our own sins and the sins of our children that were the cause of his death and weep for fear. Such were the tears here prescribed of the miseries we shall bring upon ourselves if we slight his love and reject his grace as the Jewish nation did, which brought upon them the ruin here foretold. That was Matthew Henry. You know, when our friends die in Christ, when those we love die in Christ, we, we know that we have no reason to weep for them because the reason for that is because we know they're with Jesus. We know that they are, if, if they suffered in this life, if they had some kind of disease, we know they're no longer in pain. We know that they are completely healed. We know that they are made perfect in holiness and they've entered perfect rest, perfect joy. But we do weep and we do grieve for ourselves and our children, those of us who are left behind because we're left behind in a world of sin, sorrows and snares, and we miss those who have gone on before us who are with the Lord. And so we grieve over the loss that we feel. But for those who have died in Christ, we don't grieve for them. Because we know that they are um, fully, they they know Christ fully, just as they have also been fully known, as First Corinthians thirteen teaches us. But this is what Jesus was talking to these women about as they wept for him on the way to the cross. They are the women who followed him to the cross. And of course, this is what they saw when you continue reading in Luke 23. And two others also who were criminals were being led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence for condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. It just makes me think of Psalm 1 nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. It's like this man's not scoffing anymore. The other criminal is, but he's not. And he's blessed because of it. Verse 44 in Luke 23 says, And it was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, the sun being obscured, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And of course, 
then we're when we continue reading here, we see that there are women who are who are at his burial. So they're at the cross, and now they're at his burial. Verse 46 says, And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into the, your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So here Christ had finished the work the Father had given him to do. The work to save you and me was completed. Prophecies were fulfilled, and the Savior could now rest. His final statement from the cross was, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And that was prophesied, as we know, in Psalm 31. And it was a declaration, Jesus dying on that cross with confidence. He went to the cross willingly. He laid down his life. He knew he would have victory over the cross. Verse 47 says, Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the multitudes who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance, seeing these things. Remember, here's the women again. They're standing at a distance. They accompanied him from Galilee. Now they're standing at a distance and they're seeing all of these things. And of course, we see in this passage how Luke points out three groups of people who were in these last moments of Christ's death. We see the centurion. He was the one who was in charge of the execution. And then, uh, you know, he must have been shocked when Jesus shouted and then instantly died because usually victims of crucifixion lingered for days and didn't have enough strength to speak. But so this, we see that the centurion there, we also see the multitudes who came to see the spectacle. That's what the scripture says. And notice what they did when they saw what happened. They began to drift away, beating their breasts, feeling guilt, I suppose. And then, uh, you know, these people had a reaction to Christ's death, but it wasn't enough to save them. It's like they were spectators. We know that because it says they saw this spectacle. So they're spectators. They're attracted out of curiosity to this execution. And while they're there, they're convicted of their sins, but they didn't repent. They walked away. And then, of course, we see the Lord's acquaintances, his friends who were there and the women who followed him. And it's very significant that the women were the last at the cross, and they were standing at a distance. And we know from John's gospel that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. John 19 tells us, therefore the soldiers did these things, but there were standing by the cross of uh, cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciples took the disciple, meaning John, took her into his own household. And back to Luke 23 and verse 50, the scripture says, And behold, a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man. Uh, He had not consented to their plan and action. A man from Arimathea, the city, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and he wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid him in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever lain, and it was the preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. So when Jesus died, Joseph immediately went to Pilate for permission to have the body. 
and it was a temporary burial. They would return after the Sabbath to do the job properly. So when they laid Jesus into the new tomb, they fulfilled that prophecy from Isaiah. He was assigned, excuse me, his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had he had done no violence and was and there was no deceit in his mouth. And of course, this kept the Romans uh, from throwing his body in the garbage dump outside the city. That's where condemned criminals lost the right, you know, they, they lost the right to a proper burial. But God saw to it that his son, <laughs> that his son's body was buried with dignity and love. Verse 55 says, Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed after and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. So what you see is like, well, you know, you might want to ask the question, who's attending the funeral? Not any of his disciples, but only the women that came with him from Galilee. That's what verse 55 says. They followed him to the cross. They stood by him while he hung on the cross. They followed him all the way to the tomb. They even cared about how his body was laid in the tomb. And they did this not out of some spectator curiosity like those others, but because they loved Jesus And that love was so strong. It was as strong as death. And this was a silent burial with only Joseph, Nicodemus, as John's gospel tells us, and the women. These women didn't just stand there, paralyzed by their grief, though. Verse 56 says, and they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. Think about that. They returned and prepared spices and and ointments and perfumes. It's an act. It's an act of love for him. And and it's not only an act of love, it's an act of faith for them. Because if these women had remembered and really believed what Jesus had so often told them that he would rise again on the third day, they might not have thought it necessary to go to all the expense and trouble and time to prepare the spices and perfumes, they might have thought to themselves, well, he's going to rise in a couple of days. His body will be glorified much more than these spices and ointments. And so what you see is it's more of an act of love than even of their faith because they loved him. And it's like it reminds me of the sinful woman, you know, who loved Jesus and she anointed his feet with oil And like Mary of Bethany, who lavished him with that expensive perfume that she was rebuked over, it's kind of, uh, it just reminds you of the expressions of love so often that women do, that we do as women, that we don't really think about the expense of it sometimes. We just want to do it because we love the person and we want to show our love in some way. And, uh, And so we do things sometimes that are a little bit over the top and maybe that are unnecessary, but we do it because there's we don't know how else to show our love. And then the scripture says, and on the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. So, you know, as busy as they were in this preparation, and as much as they were grieving in their hearts over what had happened, they still rested on the Sabbath day, and they didn't do any of the work then. It didn't even matter what everyone else was doing. They loved their Lord, and this obedience was showing up according to the commandments of their Lord to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. They didn't keep the Sabbath out of some legalistic obligation, but out of their love for their Savior. So Jesus is buried 
And But that was not the end of the story. We as Christians know that's not the end of the story. Here I am recording this podcast on a Saturday afternoon. And uh, so Good Friday was yesterday, and tomorrow is uh, Resurrection Day. And then, so, so now I just want to talk about the women at his resurrection. Luke 24 says this, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. So what we see is these women are coming back as soon as they can. They're coming back at early dawn. After Jesus was dead and buried, they want to embalm his body, not to take it out of the linen in, in which Joseph had wrapped it, but to anoint the head and the face and maybe the wounded hands and feet and to scatter those spices on his body, perhaps the way we might put rose petals or and flowers on the graves of those whom we love today. These women didn't forget Jesus. They didn't have second thoughts wondering, well, what's the point? They prepared it for him because they loved him and they wanted it to be used for him. Verse 2 says, And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of Jesus. And it happened that while they were perplexed about this, now let's stop there for a second think about that. I mean, they're shocked. They're shocked that they find the stone rolled away and the grave empty. But rather than rejoicing, rather than going there to find an empty tomb, which should have been their expectation based on everything that Jesus had said, they were perplexed. They were puzzled, kind of like asking the question, what's going on here? So they're puzzled about what what was going on rather than being thrilled about it. But of course, we know God cares about these women just like he cares about us. They're at an empty grave where they had just been. They had seen how the body was laid. But while they're in that state of being perplexed, the scripture says, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living one among the dead? So here you see a little bit of rebuke. You see a little bit of reproof here. They're calling attention to the absurdity of what these women were doing here. They're looking for Jesus among the dead. Kind of like unbelievers today, think about it, who worship dead heroes. You know, like people who maybe look for Jesus in some image or a crucifix or a statue or maybe some kind of tradition or a dream or experience or in any kind of uh, invention of men. But these uh, men go on to tell them he's not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. So they're assuring these women that he has risen from the dead. He's not here, but he's risen by his own power. This grave could not hold him. So the angels Remind the women of Christ's own words. Remember what he spoke to you when he was yet in Galilee? He's stirring them up by way of reminder. See, if they had believed what Jesus said, they would have come to this tomb that morning expecting an empty tomb. They would not have been surprised. They would not have been perplexed. So here are the angels reminding them of what they had been told over and over and over. 
And it makes me think about how we as believers and me as a believer, been a believer a long time, should never be bothered when I am reminded by someone of what Christ has said or what God's word has said, even if it's truth I've known, even if it's truth that I've tried to live by, even even if it's truth that I've taught when someone someone reminds me of the words of Christ, I should never be bothered by that. Because here's the thing, I am so prone to forget his promises. I am so prone to forget his words, and I need the reminders. And so the angels here repeating to them what Christ had often said in their hearing, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. So, You know, this makes me think again, you know, it reminds me that though Christ died according to the plan and according to the foreknowledge of God, those who actually physically crucified him are no less sinful for doing it. Now think about that for a second. Jesus told them that he must be crucified. So how could these women forget this? And the fact that on the third day he would rise again. Well, I know that how they can forget it because that's what we're like. We forget the promises of God. We wonder about the promises of God. And these angels weren't telling the women anything new. They were reminding them of what Christ had already said and what these women had heard. And then in verse 8, the scripture says, I love this. And they remembered his words. It's like, here they are needing to be reminded. And as they are being reminded, they remembered. Oh, yeah. You know, Christ had often told them that he would rise on the third day. And these women needed to be reminded of the truth that Jesus had told them. They needed truth from which their love could flow, you know, so they could rightfully show it. And all of us need to have a right understanding of God so that we can show our love wisely in a way that God wants us to show our love. So what did they do when they were reminded of his words by the angels? Verse 9 says, And they returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, they were Mary Magdalene. And Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. Now, it doesn't seem like the disciples and all the rest were together, according to this passage. I mean, they're probably here and there in their homes, places of work. But we're told in verse 11 how the report was received. Verse 11 says, and these words appeared to them as nonsense and they would not believe them. Now, of course, here I just said, you know, I said, oh, maybe their places of work. This is the, this, yeah, you know, I don't know where they were. I'm just saying that it just isn't, they appeared to them as nonsense and they would not believe them. I mean, think about that. And these words appeared to them as nonsense and they would not believe them. And of course, they should have remembered Christ's words as well. I mean, maybe they thought this was just wishful thinking of women talking or or women hoping for something. I don't know. But they, too, obviously had forgotten the words of Christ. He had said to them on the night he was betrayed, again, a little while, and you will see me. I will see you again. So, 
you know, when you think about this, I mean, here we are getting to read about it, and we can't but be amazed at the disciples at this point. They're the ones who had so often professed that they believed Christ to be the Son of God and the true Messiah. They're the ones who have been told even more often that he must die and rise again and then enter into his glory. They had seen him more than once raise the dead. Of course, they should believe that he could raise himself, that he would be raised. I mean, they should believe that. He'd always told them the truth. He'd always kept his word. He'd always been faithful to them. So maybe, you know, in our minds, we think, well, they should have been thrilled. You know, of course. But we get, again, we get to read about this. We get to know it after it's already happened. But this still is not the end of the story. Luke 24, verse 12 says, but Peter arose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at that which had happened. It was Mary Magdalene that brought the report to him, because John's gospel tells us that. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So here we see Mary Magdalene. She comes to the tomb, finds the stone taken away. John doesn't mention the other women in his gospel that were that went with Mary Magdalene, perhaps because Mary Magdalene felt a closeness with Jesus. He had done great things for her. I don't know. He had cast seven demons out of her. He forgave her much. She loved him much. I mean, I don't know why John doesn't tell the, about the others, but we know that other women were there. And Mary Magdalene is the one who had shown her love for him while he lived. She listened to his teaching. She ministered to him. And she had such a great respect for him at his death. And here after his death, proving she's even more showing her love for him. And of course, here's the thing. Those, those who really love Jesus will always love him. They will follow him to the end, even when it's not popular, even when the world is rising against believers even when it's hard to speak his name because uh, it's not uh, it's not politically correct anymore to be a true follower of Christ, they will true believers will follow Christ to the end, no matter what the culture around us is doing. Even when everyone leaves and goes another way, they're not ashamed of him. They're not embarrassed by the gospel. They're not embarrassed by the scriptures. They're not embarrassed by the truth of scripture. They don't try to twist the scripture to make it more palatable for those who are listening. No, they tell the truth of scripture. And see, Mary Magdalene's love to Christ was as strong as death, the death of the cross. And here at the tomb, she makes this visit, one that others may have been afraid to make. She came to the tomb to wash the dead body, for she went to the grave to weep there and to anoint it with the ointment she prepared out of her great love for the Lord. And she came as soon as she could. And uh, she's such a picture of someone who just loves Christ. And of course, we see she came early, the scripture says, while it was still dark. And that's when she found the stone taken away. Verse 2 says, And so she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Her words show that she's not thinking that Jesus has risen. I mean, you just can see that. What You know, she, she, uh, she's there. The stone's rolled away. You know, he's not there. He's gone. But she's not thinking, oh, he's risen just as he said. No, she's she's not thinking that. 
the tomb's empty, and Jesus had said it would happen. But her mind is dull, and maybe her mind is dull because of her grief. Maybe her thoughts are cloudy because of her grief, that she couldn't remember the promises of her Savior. Has your heart ever been so heavy that it's hard for you to remember the promises of God? Has your heart ever been so heavy that it's cloudy? And even when someone reminds you of the promise of God, it's just so much to bear. It's just hard, you know? I mean, that's obviously the type of thing that's going on here, you know, and and we can, again, think about it like, oh, she should have rejoiced. She should have said, oh, of course, he's risen, just as he said, not, oh, they've taken him away. But she's not thinking that way. And it's interesting to think about it. You know, the circumstances of life that should cause a believer to rejoice often cause us to complain you know, we complain about our trials in life rather than, as James tells us, to consider them all joy. You know, and, and of course, you know, we might think, well, why should I consider a trial joy? I mean, why? And of course, James tells us why. Because the testing of our faith produces endurance. And when we let endurance have its proper result, we will be complete. Lacking in nothing, Jesus not only tells us to consider our trials uh, joy, you know, to consider it joy when we encounter various trials, but then he tells us why. Here's the reason. So, so a trial can cause us to rejoice if we can see it through the eyes of faith. And Mary Magdalene, obviously, at this particular point, didn't understand it, and she wasn't seeing it through the eyes of faith. But she does. But she runs to Peter. And John, she didn't stand there feeling sorry for herself. She goes to the men who were closest to Jesus. So, yeah, Peter had denied Jesus, but here he was. He had obviously, when we know from Scripture, he had repented from that, and he's with John. Verse 3 says, Peter therefore went forth, and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb, and the two were running together. And the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. I love that. Don't you just love reading that? You know, saying they're running together. But then the other, you know, it's John's gospel. But then the other disciple ran faster than Peter. So John's getting that in the scripture. He ran faster. He came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Verse 6 says, Simon Peter therefore also came following him. But what does Simon Peter do? He goes into the tomb. He's the bold one, remember? And he beheld the linen wrappings lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb entered then also, like he followed Peter. Peter goes in and then John follows him in and he saw and believed. So here's Peter, who's obviously the leader of these two right now. It gave John courage and John outran Peter. Peter didn't turn back. He didn't stand still. But he just went on in as soon as he got there. And though John was there first, Peter led the way inside right into the tomb. Boldness of Peter is interesting just to see the differences in the two men and how God had gifted them and made them. But Peter went all the way to the grave and it encouraged John and he took heart and he ventured in as well. And he saw and believed. He didn't just believe what Mary said that the body was gone, but he believed on his own that obviously that Jesus was risen to life through his through his faith. At this point, he seems to be, even though at this point, it seems to be weak and wavering. But John followed Peter into the tomb. 
And of course, you know, it makes you wonder sometimes when you're reading the Gospels, or at least it does me, like the, the different details that are in there. You know, you wonder if John is letting us know that he would not have gone in if it weren't for Peter. You know, maybe you know, John running fast gave, you know, helped Peter run faster. I don't know. But now Peter's boldness helps John go all the way into the grave. Remember Luke's words, Peter saw and marveled. John saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. So Peter and John leave. This is what you see here. They leave. Mary stays. She lingers. And I want to tell you something, you know, where, you know, where there's a true love for someone (laughs) You don't want to leave. You want to stay. You want to linger. I mean, it's like Mary's lost him, so to speak, but she wants to stay there. She wants to linger. And of course, it makes me think about times when, you know, I have been to the funerals of those that I've loved deeply. And, you know, when when it's time to um, bury them, it's like you don't want to leave. You know, you, you, you want to stay because you love them so much. Verse 12 says, And she beheld two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. Think about what's taking place here. Before Peter and John got there, an angel had appeared, rolled away the stone, frightened the guard, and comforted the women. As soon as Peter and John left, two angels appear in the tomb where Jesus had been lying. Peter and John had just gone into the tomb, and all they saw were the grave clothes. So what's going on here? Well, we know that angels appear and disappear at God's instructions. They may be visible to one person, not to someone else, you know, and so that's obviously what's going on here. And um, but here is Mary. Now she's looking in the tomb and she sees angels. Verse 13 says, and they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Now, this is a compassionate question. It's also a rebuke of sorts. Why are you weeping? You know, when you're it's like, why are you weeping? Because the angels know she really needs to be rejoicing. But of course, she says to them, because they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and beheld Jesus standing there and did not know it was Jesus. So here she is speaking with the angels. They're asking her a question. And before they give her another answer, Christ himself steps in, but she does not recognize him. So here she wants to see the dead body of Christ. Yet Christ, here he is appearing to her alive. Here, it's just such an amazing passage of scripture. And it reminds me of how the scripture tells us in Psalm 34, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Christ is often near to his people, and we're not aware of him. Mary didn't know this was Jesus, and it is not that he appeared in another likeness. She just wasn't expecting him, so she's missing him. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? 
The question here that Jesus is asking is the same as the angel's question, yet he adds another question behind it when he says, woman, why are you weeping? And then he says, whom are you seeking? It's like this is such a special time for Mary because the Lord has compassion on her. He sees her tears. He takes notice of her tears. You know, remember Hagar in the Old Testament when he, uh, when she runs away and, and then a pre-incarnate Jesus appears to her and calls out to her in her distress, and he asks her the same thing. Why are you weeping? I mean, it shows just how God cares about our tears and those things that we weep over. And his word tells us that he bottles our tears and records them in his book. He cares about us in such an intimate way. The scripture goes on and says, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. See, again, she's missing it. She doesn't know this is Jesus. Her heart is so troubled, yet she is still respectful to this gardener that she thinks this is a gardener. And she says the same thing to him that she has said to everybody. She wants to find Christ. And and you know what else? <laughs> She says she will take him away. Now think about it. What woman do you know who can lift a man and carry him away? It proves again her intent, how much she loves him. Because real love always thinks it can do more than it can do. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary. We know from the scripture he says it with emphasis We know he's saying it with kindness. It's like, I know you, Mary. 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 I mean, this one word, Mary, was like that to the disciples in the storm, like, it is I. Then the scripture says, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. So she thought it had been the gardener. She had obviously looked another way while speaking to him, but now that she recognized his voice, she turned to him, because that's what the scripture says, she turned and said to him, and she called him teacher, master, my master. She loved him, and she spoke of his authority over her. She knew him, and she respected him. Then she obviously reached out the way women do to touch him because the scripture continues. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. It's such a beautiful picture. It's such a beautiful picture. Well, how about you? And as I've been reading this, I think, well, how about me? You know, um, there's so many things that God shows us through his word. And this Easter weekend, again, as I came in here to record a, a podcast, as I have been thinking about all of these things this Easter weekend, I want to be, you know, I just want to be the kind of woman who loves Christ no matter what who wants to, who's the type of woman who doesn't challenge his authority, that doesn't challenge the word of God, 
but who wants to place her life under the authority of the Word of God. I want to understand His Word so that I can obey His Word. That's what I want. I want to listen when God rebukes me through His Word, when He uses other people sometimes to rebuke me. I want to be able to listen to rebuke and to reproof. I also want to be encouraged by His Word. I want to be shown where I get off track, but I also want to be shown how to get back on. I want to be a woman who doesn't care what my uh, lot in life is. And by that, I mean not being clamored to be out there, not not to be in competition with men, not to be in competition with other women, but just to want to obey the Lord and do what he calls me to do. You know, kind of like Mary, you know, the mother of Jesus. She loved her son who was her savior. Just She just had a quiet trust in God's plan and purposes for her life. You know, and I think about Peter's mother-in-law. When Jesus healed her, she got up and she served. She didn't wallow in her sickness or in her emotional pain. Jesus healed her, and then she served. You know, and there's so many others that I just mentioned, women who followed Jesus all the way to the cross. They followed him when it was hard. They, they wailed for what was going on in their nation. They wept for the right things. They didn't cry over dumb stuff. There was a wailing and a lament for, for what was happening in their nation. And even I think about today what's even happening in our churches where so many so-called evangelical t- churches seem to be turning away from the Lord, being ashamed of the blood of the cross, being ashamed of the call to holiness. You know, Titus tells us that we, um, you know, after it's in chapter two, when he says the scripture instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, but to live sensibly and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it, and again, later in that same book, he talks, talks about us being zealous for good deeds uh, because we understand that 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 Christ bought us with his own blood, with his body on that tree. He suffered and he bled and he died there for me. And if we understand his grace, we deserve hell. We deserve to be eternally separated from him. But he didn't want that for us. And so he came to this earth and he lived that perfect sinless life and went to the cross in our behalf. And that I didn't, I do nothing to earn my salvation. God is the one who saves me, has saved me. And when I understand his grace, it instructs me to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly and righteously, to be zealous for good deeds, to want to do what pleases him and to live for him all the days of my life. And I hope that's what Easter weekend does for you as you reflect on the cross, as you reflect on our risen Christ and the victory that we have in him. I hope that even this week as you 
listen to this podcast and as we're in its following Easter weekend, that you'll always be reminded of the cross and Christ's victory that he accomplished there and that we serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living whatever men may say. Father, I thank you for even this time for myself being reminded of the truth of your word. I so need the reminder of what you've done for me. And I pray that this podcast is an encouragement to the women who listen. And then as the next podcasts come and I have my daughter-in-law Maureen and Kessid and Marilyn and my daughter Grace Anna at different times joining me, I pray that you will continue to use this podcast in the lives of women. And may we always be faithful to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed this episode of Rare But Real, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. And share this podcast with friends. Follow Audrey on Instagram and Facebook at Mothering From The Heart. And listen to all her messages on the Search the Scriptures app.